Welcome to the weekend edition of Mad Dogs and Englishmen here on a gross, miserable, cloudy, overcast, muggy, generally unpleasant day in New York City. Speaking of which, Charlie, we're going to have to figure out a way to get this done by telephone in the future because I, this afternoon, resolved to move. Uh, much as I like New York, it's kind of the one place I always wanted to live when I was growing up, but I think I'm done with it. Uh, it took an hour to get here from City Hall today. As you know, my, my usual subway ride is about five stops to get here. It usually takes about seven, eight minutes of, uh, of time when things are working right, but things have just stopped working right. They haven't been for a while. And i got to tell you, it's frustrating. I'm looking for some more civilized uh, place to live. You know, it was really driving me crazy. I was thinking about it. You know, I have a piece coming up over the weekend about uh, you know why various sorts of government-oriented things don't work, and it's because they're organized as monopolies or cartels. And there's really no non-monopoly and non-cartel way to get around in New York. I mean, you got the subways, which are city monopoly. Uh, the MTA is a state organization, I guess. You got the taxis, which are a government chartered cartel. Uh, even if you come in driving, you've got to deal with these, you know, unionized workforces at things like the uh, uh, toll booth on the uh, New York uh, Three-Way and all the rest of it. There's no free market way to get around in New York unless you're willing to, uh, you know, break the law and use gypsy cabs and things like that, which I do whenever I get a chance to because I just I like breaking those laws and I think that they, they should be broken. Is that no Uber? Is that not allowed? Uber got, uh, there's a weird deal with Uber here where the city sort of cracked down on them about some regulatory things. So Now, I may be wrong about this, but the last time I checked in on it, Uber is here and you can use it, but the people you can get through Uber have to be like registered uh, limousine drivers or otherwise, you know, parts of the uh, thing. I could be wrong about that, so maybe I should check that out or someone will call and uh, write us an email and let us know if I'm wrong about that, but it's been a few months since I, um, since I looked into it. Speaking of Uber, you know, there are uh, these protests in Seattle against them right now. London's taxis are threatening to shut down the city if Uber isn't banned. People just don't like, they don't like competition. So here is, here is a, a, a non-dissent uh, from the free market view. But I would say one thing about London cabbies, and that's this. Theirs is a, a monopoly, a cartel, a guild almost that does produce excellent results. Yes. I mean, London cabbies have to go through what's called the knowledge. It takes about five years to qualify, and it is, you have to literally know every address like the back of your hand, and if you get into a London cab, it's always interesting, because you can say any address, you can say any restaurant, and the driver will know where it is and how to get there in the shortcuts and, and it amuses me that the different role this isn't for what it's worth to say there shouldn't be uber in london i would of course oppose that uh, but if you're going to have a strong uh, sort of government regulated organization you want one with excellent results and it, sure. it does amuse me the different role when you go to london in london uh, i should say in new york all of the cab drivers are immigrants and they just stepped off the boat. And, and they in don't London, know where anything is. And they don't know where anything is. And in London, all of the cab drivers are white guys from Essex and the East End who hate immigrants. <laughs> yes. Well, and the other thing, of course, is that uh, in London, taxi drivers explain to you where things are. In New York, you have to explain to where taxi drivers right. are. You know, the place where I live in New York, uh, you know, it's downtown. It's, it's literally right next door to City Hall. And it's a rare taxi driver who I can give my address to uh, who knows where to find the building. Right. And... Uh, you know, it's and it's actually a very large building. Uh, it's it's famously the, uh, the largest apartment building in the Western Hemisphere. So there there got to be a couple thousand people who live there, yeah. and a lot of people, taxi drivers, 
no idea where it is. And not to get totally off topic, but this is something I've thought about, which this is, I think, an interaction between technology and policy that's actually resulted in diminished level of, uh, of service, uh, of customer service. Normally technology improves customer service, but what's happened, as you've noted, is that the uh, prevalence of GPS means that people who operate taxis and car services think they can just put someone who doesn't know the city uh, behind the wheel mm. of a car as long as he can plug it in to the phone and figure out how to get there. And of course, it's actually a little more complicated than that because cities have histories and uh, they're not they're not static. Actually, something I wrote about last weekend was the mistaking the map for the territory. This yeah, is right. exactly a literal case of that because I think as long as you can get it mapped out, that's you know a sensible way to get there. But of course, London, especially, which is a much more complicated city than New York is uh, in terms of surface traffic. Right, and and I think you know again, this is not to endorse the way that the London cab system works. It's not to endorse uh, the British model. It's not to endorse any sort of monopoly. It's or to endorse guilt. a tradition, though. Well, it is. It is, but a tradition but, of excellence. Yeah, but I would say that conservatives are are lucky in some regards that it is obviously not important, for example, to the left to improve the DMV so that we can always point to the DMV and say this is what happens when you leave the government in charge. Uh, our, our work would be made more difficult if the DMV across the country or the DMVs across the country got their act together. Yeah. We'd no longer have it to point to and it's much more difficult in London for example to make the case that you should deregulate the system when everybody knows that it works very well. Yeah. So my problem here is that I, you know, I have the second job as a, as a theatre critic which means I have to be within some striking distance of New York because much as I like San Antonio, yeah. can't really be a theater critic in San Antonio. So my current list of places I'd rather live are Scottsdale, Arizona, mm-hmm. Miami, and possibly, although I would never buy a place there, Southern California. Not a bad place to be a renter in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I would feel sketchy about buying into that particular polity at this moment in time, but I don't think it's going to happen. So my, my, my options start to look like the New York suburbs, which having lived in Fairfield County, Connecticut, before, my recollection is it's not a huge improvement in a lot of ways. Because then you've got the Metro North, you have to deal with uh, another monopoly uh, system, which is pretty bad. But that is not actually what we came here to talk about. This is me bitching about the MTA, because this is our podcast and we can do what we want. (laughs) And uh, by the way, I think every employee of the MTA should be crucified in Central Park. Uh, They're just the worst people and the worst organization in the world. But you would disagree with that because you are opposed to capital punishment. Now, I was reading a piece on that today, and we talked about it some yesterday. And what's interesting to me is that you and I have, I think, roughly the same views about the ethics of capital punishment, the efficacy of it, um, what it says about our relationship with the state. But we come to a different conclusion, which is you are, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, more or less consistently opposed to capital punishment Whereas I'm not quite there. I dislike it. I think it's administered poorly. I think we use it for the wrong things. I think the process is horrifying and the sort of sterile uh, Kafkaesque bureaucracy that we use to administer executions is um, terrifying and inhumane. But every time I think I'm ready to say, okay, I'm fully against capital punishment, some son of a bitch comes along that I say, all right, Tim McVeigh, we make an exception for you. Well, look, I, I, I'm, I wrestle with it, and I certainly wasn't going to preface my piece by uh, giving an insult into my dark nights of the soul. I must say, when I hear that some monster who admitted that he did it was caught on camera or the police saw him do it, 
is is fried. I can't pretend that my my reptilian brain doesn't <laughs> jump for joy a little to horrendously mix a metaphor. Uh, you know, it it is nice to see vengeance. It is nice to see retribution. I'm a human being, and especially when you read about... I mean, nice isn't the precise No, word. I think when satisfying. you read about... Satisfying, yes. It's, uh, Englishism, perhaps. When you, when you read about country justice, too, I very often feel good on you. You know, somebody has their seven-year-old child raped or murdered, and they beat the guy to death with a shovel. I find it very difficult to level much moral outrage at that person, especially if it's in the heat of the moment. But even if it's not, but there are many things that as a human being I am instinctively <laughs> led toward uh, and tempted toward and I nonetheless resist. Yeah, our instincts now, often are not our friends. Right, and and I, and I uh, one of the reasons perhaps... <laughs> well, I could do a whole hour on that by myself, <laughs> I gotta tell you. But one of the reasons that I think I perhaps find it difficult politically to make friends uh, is that my views on such questions tend to be a little bit uh, all over the place. So, of course, there are uh, contradictions and, of course, there are difficulties. And, and indeed, before I explain to you why I'm against capital punishment, I should say that as I'm a pro-gay marriage guy who nevertheless thinks that the majority of the pro-gay marriage arguments are nonsensical, dislikes the hysteria, loathes the tendency to call people who disagree bigots, and thinks that the idea of gay marriage being guaranteed by the Constitution is preposterous, I think that the majority of my fellow abolitionists' uh, arguments in favour of death penalty abolitionism are self-serving and silly. Uh, the idea that the Eighth Amendment outlaws the death penalty is preposterous, and it's a, just a in a constitution that explicitly considers in the Fifth Amendment. Yes. It actually mentions it. Um, you know, it's a, just a deliberate attempt to take it away uh, out of the hands of of the people in the states, who are the only legitimate uh, body that can decide it. Equally, I don't believe. Um, that it is racist. I think the statistical argument there is a poor one. Now, 50 years ago, is <laughs> a different story. And uh, and I don't think that just because we've been having trouble recently doing it in a way that satisfies you know, your average moderate, I mean, they'll never be satisfied if you're against it. But, for example, the botched execution in Oklahoma that led to the present debate, I don't think that that in and of itself is an argument in favor of um, abolition it just seems to me it's a prompt one to say we'll find a better way my objection to it is is a simple subjective ethical and moral calculation and yesterday after I wrote this piece people said to me well that's just your view well yes it is this is not an equation I mean this is not for example uh, a, a viewpoint that is backed up with statistics like a, 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 an argument about the best uh, the best level of corporate taxation. Now, that is a value judgment too, but those things do rely on statistics, on history, on human behavior. Yeah. This ethics, ethics isn't algebra. No, this is a value judgment. And my value judgment is that I do not think that when we have a choice as to whether we should kill another person, that we should take it. I do not think that if there is no present danger, uh, which is the case in the vast majority of instances in which somebody is is killed 
for something that they've done. I do not think that absent present danger uh, or a calculation, for example, that while keeping this person alive is going to inevitably cause two other deaths, I don't think that uh, cause other deaths. I don't think we should kill them. And and you know, let's be honest about it. Ninety-five probably percent of instances in which we execute somebody for something they've done, we could keep them in prison forever. We could give them a five hundred year prison sentence. We could give them life without parole. We could put them in solitary confinement. We could just brick them up in a small outcast of a Montellado. Yeah, uh, and and I am of the view that we are so appalled by murder and so appalled. Uh, by capital crimes because we perceive them to be out of line with our own values and with what we would choose to do well we have a choice and let's not elect to kill people yeah my i have a sort of related view on that which has to do with the uh question of mercy uh when you extend mercy to someone who deserves it. It's not really mercy, it's just simple justice. Uh, mercy is when you're extending clemency to someone who doesn't uh, deserve hmm. it, when you're going beyond what you know plain justice requires. In the same sense that uh, you know meeting your obligations to uh, your family isn't an act of charity, um, and then there's no particular, I think, virtue in helping out people who obviously deserve our aid. Uh, there's some virtue, I think, in helping out people who don't obviously I deserve our aid in spite of it. And I think that's actually a pretty good argument against capital punishment, and that's one of my um, one of my reservations about it, is that I think that um, even though I think it's often just and just punishment, that it's better in some instances not to pursue justice all the way, mm-hmm. uh, to balance it with other virtues. Not because so much, honestly, I care about the accused and the condemned, although I do a little bit, um, but I care more about us as a general society, and I think that capital punishment in some ways makes us worse off. I think it has a, a coarsening uh, moral effect. We were talking about this yesterday when I was uh, working in Texas. I would sometimes go down when they were doing executions at the uh, death row down in Huntsville. Uh, and these crowds of people outside who were chanting, you know, burn, baby, burn, and that sort of thing, and cheering on the execution were really, I think, the best evidence Mm. for getting rid of capital punishment I've ever seen, uh, because it was reducing them to something unadmirable, uh, something that you don't, something you don't really want to be. And um, I think that uh, not to, I, hmm, how to put this, I don't entirely buy the sort of what we call seamless argument, uh, seamless garment pro-life argument that uh, you have to think of abortion and euthanasia and capital punishment as as one unified issue. I really don't think that's probably right. I think the question of carrying out an abortion is a very, very different issue than the question of carrying out an execution of someone who's done something horrific and, uh, and arguably deserves it. But I think it's easier to make that argument in a society in which we say, look, we don't even kill people who obviously have it coming. Yeah, well, due process certainly matters, and it does distinguish uh, American capital punishment from the capital punishment in, say, Iran or China or Saudi Arabia. Mm. Now, that doesn't change the basic moral question, which is, should we kill people? That doesn't necessarily change after a, a jury has been involved. But, of course, it is different 
to execute somebody for murder uh, after 20 years and legal review and the jury of their peers have condemned them to death than to execute somebody for being gay from a crane in Iran after two men decide in the government they're going to do it, you know, three days after the so-called crime was found. Of course those two things uh, are different and due process does separate the uh, victim of an abortion and the executee in, in an important way. But my calculation here is that we're not, we like our cops to defend themselves if they need to. But if a cop took somebody into custody and then killed him, we wouldn't just be upset because there was a lack of due process. We wouldn't just say, no, no, no. That was the role of a jury and a court. We would feel somewhere deep down, viscerally, that there was an injustice there, that the cop had disarmed the person who'd been shooting at him, had him in a safe environment, and then had chosen to kill him. And and I don't think that the, the sort of uh, pacifist uh, left is necessary in order to make the argument f- against capital punishment. You know, my guess there is that in the case of the cop shooting a guy in handcuffs, part of our ethical instinct there is based in the fact that the man is in a position of defenselessness. Sure. So that's not an argument against capital punishment. That's an argue in favor of gladiator fights. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be capital punishment in quite the way we understand it because, of no. course, he could win. And then what? Yeah, well, I think the usual Roman practice was to keep them fighting until they either died or they became so popular that they became, you know, celebrities and emancipated. But but it's not it's not the same thing as pacifism. And I go through in in my piece from yesterday that I have absolutely no issue with killing when it's necessary. A lot of people who wrote to me afterwards seem to miss this argument. They said, "Well, do you think that an American soldier who defends himself in battle is a murderer?" Well, no, of course not, because by and large he will have been shot at before he shot back. Do I think that if somebody breaks into my house and I kill them that I'm a murderer? Absolutely not. Do I think that a woman who kills her uh, rapist uh, is a murderer? Of course I don't. But I do think that if somebody breaks into my house and I point a gun at them and they drop to the floor and I tie their hands behind their back and then I execute them, that is a morally different action than if I shoot them in the heat of the moment or if they are, say, coming at me. And, you know, that, that to me, really is the important distinction here. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, that's worth thinking about. It's not going to totally, I think, change my mind yet, but it's close. Now, there's some punishments. But you change your mind in what way? Because you're supposed to be against this. I know, I'm just not <laughs> quite there. So, but there are some punishments short of death that are very traditional and old-fashioned that we've been talking about that we should bring back. And uh, so where are you on stocks these days? Because I'm very much in favor of stocks for certain kinds of crimes, which are crimes that devalue public spaces, things like graffiti and vandalism and that sort of thing. You know, you're, you're not going to give someone a year in jail for this. Um, a fine's not going to do much good. But I think 24 hours in the stocks on the site of their crime sure. uh, and then make them clean it up afterward. I think that's maybe not a bad idea. 
What no, I, I actually don't particularly object to that idea, providing that, say, the stocks are surrounded by maybe a glass cage. Because oh, we otherwise, don't want them abused. Yeah, yeah you, you, you'd get into the, the problem of abuse. But no, I mean, the, the question in these circumstances, if people hear us, Hello Media Matters, if people hear us <laughs> saying this, they'll probably write it up. And out of context, it does, of course, sound barbaric. But the question is always as opposed to what? Yeah. Now, I don't believe that the stocks are worse, for example, than being sent to prison for a week. In fact, if you ask me whether I should stand in stocks for 24 hours or go to prison for a week, I'd probably choose the stocks. Hmm. Right, what would you choose? Depends on the jail. If I can get solitary confinement, I'll take the jail. That's a vacation. Oh, but I've heard terrible things about solitary confinement. Yeah, I guess. What it does to your mind. Maybe not a week. Yeah. But no, that that does seem to, to fit the punishment. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. It gives people some sense of... of connection and it shows you because the nice thing about the stocks and this is a danger as well but the nice thing about the stocks is that you can talk to people while they're in the stocks mm. I mean there is a degree to which our and this is a problem with capital punishment too with the lethal injection there is a degree to which we've sanitized the whole process of punishment Agreed. so that somebody puts graffiti on a wall and they never see the people who are affected by that they never meet the property owner who had to clean it up. They just go to prison or they do their community service very often in, a, in an area totally unrelated yeah. to the one, uh, the, the one that they started in. And, and therefore, they never quite see... I mean, this is a larger problem of society now in general. I mean, when, when Tocqueville was writing about the northeastern, the northeastern American towns where there was effectively direct local democracy... You know, the virtue that he identified was that you really saw what you were doing and how your vote was being used. So if you made a terrible decision, you noticed because the water supply dried up yeah. or the crops didn't grow or, you know, the school was, was underfunded. Whereas now it's very difficult when we're voting for federal programs to actually see how well we're doing and you can lie with statistics and it sometimes comes down to who's a better debater. We don't really always see the consequences of our actions. And the penal system is, is in some regards the same. You know, you, we don't see death. We don't see when people are executed. It's not broadcast on television. You can probably go. There are limited tickets in some states you can get. But generally speaking, you're not being hanged in the public square. And the stocks do restore a certain balance so that you can see the people that you have inconvenienced and they can see you. And there's a catharsis in there, maybe. Yeah, and certain crimes are public by nature. You know, graffiti, vandalism, things like that are essentially public crimes. They're not just crimes against the property owner, but they, they make public life and public spaces worse off than they are. So I think those sorts of crimes should be, uh, should be punished with a, a public aspect to the punishment. And as old-fashioned as that is and as uh, barbaric as it may seem to some people, I think it's actually probably a better program than incarceration and various other things that we do to uh, deal with those sorts of problems. So to close out, Charlie 100% against capital punishment, or 99% against maybe, and might be some one exception there. I'm at about 93%, Yeah, but I am ready to publicly hang the people who run the city subways. Okay, well, I thought that uh, we could finish today yes. with a, a reading of the number of states that I think are likely to bring back the stocks in the next five years. <laughs> 